Hey, this is Dewey from Pure Pleasure on Jabberjaw Media. I wanted to tell you guys about the Patreon for the show. It's called the Pleasure Seekers Club, and there's two levels. There's the $5 level and the $10 level. And all this is, guys, is to help support the show, help support the cost of putting the show out, um, you know, time spent uh, building the show, hosting costs, travel costs to do the in-person interviews that you guys like so much. Um, it all costs money. And I always try to find the best deal for sure uh, because I do have a day job as well. But having that support on the Patreon is definitely going to help bring more in-person interviews, more travel, more uh, updated uh, graphics, hosting, websites, all that stuff. So, um, And if you like the show, $5 a month or $10 a month really helps out. I know it's kind of uh, an interesting thing with the Patreon when something's already free. Uh, but it is always going to be free. But if you want to support the show a little bit more, I'd absolutely appreciate it. Uh, you can pay either $5 or $10 a month. We'll try to do some special things for the patrons as well as we go. Um, but it's just a way to support the show in a different way. And uh, like I said, I really appreciate you guys coming back week after week. That's the most important thing I can ask for. So definitely go over and check out the Patreon. It's patreon.com slash Podcast. Once again, that is patreon.com slash Podcast. Sign up today and join the community and help out the show. Keep it growing. And I thank you so much. Hey, this is Doc Coyle, host of the X-Man Podcast and part of the Jabberjaw Media Podcast Network. The X-Man Podcast is where I talk to professionals in the music world and other creative industries about the challenges and transitions of leaving monumental ventures. This podcast is for those passionate and driven 20 to 30-somethings at a crossroad trying to figure out what's next. Listen and subscribe at JabberjawMedia.com. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. What's up, guys? This is Dewey from the Peer Pleasure Podcast. Today's podcast is brought to you by Outer Loop Records. Founded as a sister company at Outer Loop Management in 2013, Outer Loop Records is back with a brand new partnership with Cooking Vinyl. Outer Loop Records is happy to have relaunched and announced the signing of four bands. Chasing Safety, Migosh, Youth and Revolt, and Lorna Shore. We're going to play a clip of Migosh's I Stole from the Dead from their forthcoming album Apostasy, which is due December 16th, 2016. So right now, let's check out that clip from Migosh, I Stole from the Dead. Orders are available via All In Merch, www.allinmerch.com slash Outerloop. There you have it, guys. Migosh's I Stole From The Dead off their new album, Apostasy, due out December 16th on Outerloop Records. 
Thanks for listening. Hi, this is Dia Frampton, and you're listening to the Pure Pleasure Podcast. Welcome back, folks, to the Peer Pleasure Podcast. Thank you again for joining us week after week. We're glad to have you. Today, my guest is the fabulous and incredible Dia Frampton. Dia Frampton has had a very diverse career. Some of you may know her from Megan Dia. Some of you may know her from Arches. Some of you may know her from The Voice on NBC. She was a contestant on the first season, uh, coming in second place. And she was on Blake Shelton's team. So if you watch The Voice, you may be familiar with her. Did some awesome covers. And she just has a great voice, a great talent, and she is fantastic to talk to. Had a great conversation. Uh, met Dia through her manager, Mike Kaminsky, who some of you may have heard on the podcast before. Uh, met Dia. She was coming home from tour, and we were crashing on Mike's couch and met her that way. And, and uh, it was nice to get back in touch and see how things were going. So she's got some big stuff coming out. She's got an album coming out next year in March. She just released a new single. The new album is called Bruises. We're going to play some music uh, called The Golden Years here as we lead into her interview. So uh, just as usual, uh, we are available at peerpleasurepodcast.com, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, We also have our Amazon affiliate link up on the website. If you go to my website, click on Shop at Amazon. Anything you buy off that link gives us 4 to 6% of everything you buy. It doesn't cost you anything more, and it's easy as just clicking that link, logging in as normal, and making your purchases for the holiday season. So here we are Sunday again. Uh, it's been another great week. We're looking forward to this interview with Dia. I'm glad you guys are going to get to hear it. Let's go ahead and get into this interview, and I'll see you at the end. As the smoke rises up in the city. Well, welcome to the Peer Pleasure Podcast. I am sitting down, well, sitting in Portland, Oregon, I believe. Dia's in Los Angeles with uh, Dia Frampton. Uh, so yep. you may know Hi. her from The Voice and Arches, Megan Dia, uh, and you're doing your solo stuff now. Um, yeah. So real quick, I wanted to touch on that just to start out. You're working on a new record right now called Bruises, correct? It's actually finished, but yes. Oh, it's finished. Okay. Yeah, I guess we're working on 
uh, the artwork and things like that right now. So yeah, I guess still technically working on it. <laughs> okay, perfect. And that is, now is that the same uh, backing band and everything as Arches, or is that a whole new band altogether that you're using? Um, there's a lot of people that I used for Arches that I kept um, for Bruises, just because I love them so much. Um, some writers that I loved, and Joe Trapanese, who produced the Arches album, we co-wrote a, a song together um, called Chances that's on Bruises. So I did use a lot of the same people because it's hard to find people that you connect well with musically in L.A. Yeah. And um, I feel like after literally probably about six years of just writing with people and working with people and performing with people, I found a group of three or four people that I just love and it feels like a family or a band of its own. So I kept a lot of people for bruises for the solo stuff. Excellent. And that's and that's coming out on uh, is it network? Yeah, on uh, Network on March 3rd. Okay, fantastic. And are you going to be releasing some stuff early from that at all? Like are you going to put out some singles or are you going to just release it all at once? Um, I believe we're going to put out some singles. I think the next single, Gold and Silver, will actually come out in a couple weeks. I think on November 18th. And then um, we're going to release a few other songs. And I've been trying to... Uh, get some money together to make some music videos so i do want to release some music videos before uh, march 3rd but we'll we'll see how that goes <laughs> okay <laughs> and when you say trying to get some money together is is the deal you have with network are you self-funding a lot of of what you're doing or are they um putting a package together for you that's that's gonna allow you to do that mm -hmm. um they definitely do a lot I know they're going to help uh, – well, they're going to fund a video for the main album single, Dead Man, and um, they've been doing so many things for photo shoots. And, uh, you know, of course, they paid to make the album, which is awesome. Um, but there's still so many things that I want to do, and I feel like today is such a visual world that mm -hmm. I – think music videos are such a beautiful way to discover bands and tell stories at the same time and I really love film and uh so I've been trying to get together music video concepts for songs that necessarily wouldn't be singles that wouldn't ever be considered for a music video because usually labels pay for the singles for music videos sure um so you know there's a lot of songs like Die Wild and Out of the Dark and uh just songs I really love that if they want to have a music video, they're probably going to come from my pocket. So I'm kind of putting together an online store right now. I was going to do Kickstarter or something like that, but it mm -hmm. just, I don't know, it kind of feels weird asking people for money to like just do a hobby. I don't know. You know what I mean? Yeah, there's definitely a fine line. I mean, if you're putting out, and I looked at Kickstarter too at first when it first came out and bands were putting stuff up like crazy. And I looked at it the same way. I was like, man, that's kind of just asking for, for money to do something, you know. It, but then looking down at what was offered, there, I mean, some bands mm -hmm. were offering some cool stuff um, as kind of. So it was more of a business transaction in the way that you're getting something, you know, and you're a part of the project versus, hey, we need money to do this. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's exactly what I wanted to do. So. I guess I'm kind of doing the same thing, but just I have the product beforehand. So um, I put together 
<laughs> like all of my dresses that I wore on the, on the voice and on stage and uh-huh. just had them dry clean. So I went and picked them up the other day and, um, old red merchandise and vinyls. And then I've actually been painting these little acrylic canvas paintings to sell and, um, making some really cool canvas art. My friend made a really amazing watercolor that I'm putting up for print. So I do want to give some cool stuff and if they want to buy it, they can. And then I'm just going to use that money to make music videos. But, um, yeah, it's Kickstarter. It's, it's a fine line. Cause I feel like if somebody has no way of making an album and they're like, I really just want to get these songs out. I want to make this album. Um, we can do a pre-sale for Kickstarter. That's great. But for me, just to be like, I want to make some extra music videos. <laughs> it just seems a little weird. So I was, I, I just set up an online store instead. So if people want to, you know, get something, they can, and I can make these videos. Hopefully. Sure, that's awesome. Because because then they can just show up to the the web store, uh, like they would normally. Like, hey, I want to buy yeah. this, and then oh, hey, and now I know where the money's going to more than more than uh, asking for a, a handout, which is, I think, exactly what you're going for there. So yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Is Kaminsky going to help on these video concepts? Um, he actually just directed one of his own, which uh, it's for a song called "Don't Look Back on Bruises," and um. He had his own concept, and he actually funded it himself. And for those of you who don't know, Kaminsky is my manager of, uh, yeah. I think like, 12 years or something. Um, but, uh, yeah, so he, he funded it himself, and he he did everything, which was really kind of him, like hair, makeup, and wardrobe. And we drove out to Joshua Tree and just kind of did something really low-key. So he's been working on that right now, which is awesome. Uh, and really just, I don't know any managers out there who, you know, really want to make a music video for one of their artists and funds it out of his own pocket and just goes out to the desert and does it. So that's one awesome thing about Mike. Yeah. One of, one of millions yeah, <laughs> of yeah. awesome things. He's actually, I had him on the show a few weeks back and his episode's going to air tonight. Um, oh, great. and he is, he's one of the best people I've ever known. And that, that, uh, that sums him up right there. Funding, you know, for his artists. I mean, you're basically part of his family. I mean, it's not. Yeah. I mean, I live on his street now, coincidentally. <laughs> <laughs> so I see him all the time, but he's great. I mean, I actually met him. You know, people always meet like these sleazy music managers <laughs> in like really yeah. weird places and like weird things always end up happening. But I met Mike because um, I was playing a show in L.A. and we didn't have anywhere to stay. So his roommate let us stay at his house, and um, and Mike was just a roommate there. So Mike had no idea. You know when a roommate asks if people can stay over, but sometimes they forget to. Absolutely. <laughs> we were kind of that band or those, that group of folks. So um, a guy who was managing us at the time, uh, John Cheese, who's amazing, mm-hmm. um, he let us stay at his house. And Mike, I remember waking up to Mike. I was in a sleeping bag on the floor. And I just look up and he was like, who are all these people, John? <laughs> and then we just ended up hanging out and he ended up managing us. So it's just kind of funny how things happen in an organic way when you're not looking for a manager, you know? Yeah. Yeah. We talked on the briefly on the podcast about um, – because. You and I met one time, and it was very. It was at Kaminsky's house, and it was one of those random meetings. Like you guys had literally just come back from tour, or were <laughs> you either just coming back or just leaving? But the band was all in the kitchen, uh, and everyone. I mean, you guys had probably just played a show. Um, 
and we were crashing at Mike's house and, and he's like, Oh yeah, these are my friends. And, and, uh, met super briefly. And that was back with, I think Portugal, the man. Um, and then, uh, then I saw after that on MTV, I was like, wait a minute. I think I just met those guys. Uh, yeah. I think this monster was on TRL or something. Some was on yeah, yeah, yeah. that I saw. And, and uh, but that was the, that was the only time we had met. And that was the same situation. Like we don't have a place to stay. And Kaminsky's like, come on over. <laughs> so, yeah, that's so funny. I remember monster being on that. Cause it, it's so funny when you're young, I think it played like a, 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 a MTV show ended and you know when the credits are rolling our music video came mm-hmm, on mm-hmm. and I was seriously like oh we've made it <laughs> <laughs> and I would just watch it all the time but it's, it's just funny when you're young how you think of things I didn't know you're in Portugal the man that's awesome I was just a touring guitar player for them for a couple years and uh, that happened to be one of the tours we were on and, and uh, down there and and Mike and I had met you know years and years back um yeah, we were doing the anatomy of a ghost stuff and and uh, we oh, were doing cool. the fear before the March of Flames stuff. So um, that's so fun. Yeah, <laughs> I met him sleeping on the floor in a sleeping bag. Uh, I'd heard all these things about Mike Kaminsky, and I'm picturing this big dude, just powerful, you know. And and there's this little kid sleeping in a sleeping bag, and I was like, "Who's that? Oh, that's Mike Kaminsky. Are you kidding me?" <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, yeah, he's uh he's a good dude. I I've I've enjoyed being friends with him for so long and I'm sure you yeah. guys are glad to be with him but um, it's so cool to talk to someone who's been touring because I feel like if you haven't toured you just don't know what it's like yeah you know what I mean Absolutely. not in like a in a high and mighty way but sometimes people are like oh yeah that must be rough and then that's pretty much it yeah. I'm like you have no idea it, literally no idea like you can see it you can read about it like I was reading that essay you wrote. I wanted to talk about that essay you wrote which was really really cool and pretty much summed up everything very well and and uh, there's a part you mentioned about sleeping in Walmart parking lots mm-hmm. and I mean that's something that people just don't understand I mean Rand McNally made an atlas of just Walmarts and <laughs> we called it the embassy I've talked about this on the show before but we call it the embassy and you go to any small town you've never been to on tour and there's a Walmart and it's 24 yeah. hours and there's video games and food and bathrooms and you just sleep in the van. Yeah. Go in, uh, brush your teeth, wash your hair. If it's really late, no one will come in and just, yeah. you know, kind of, rel- it's, it's like a little, what are those good things in the, de- a mirage? Yes. But it's real. <laughs> it's like that little area in the desert that you could just go and relax and and your ethics go out the window. I mean, it's Walmart. It's one of the most evil corporations ever. But when you're on tour, it's heaven on earth. Yeah. And but it's so bad because I would always come out with like a pint of Ben and Jerry's uh-huh. and just go sit in the van. And, you know, after all of us, there'd be like seven of us in the van. And, and when we wake up in the morning, you know, we're not stinky people. Like our band was generally very clean and took care of ourselves. But mm-hmm. even so, like seven people in a packed van, it just smells like people like I don't know oily skin and socks and stuff and so we'd always just wake up and just air it out and uh you know yeah it's the sleep smell it's yeah it's a sleep smell it doesn't it's just a very weird gross smell and there's just little weird things mixed in there like hair follicles and and somebody left a, a Pringles can open so there's like a little bit of hint sour cream and onion and it's just weird 
yeah, it all mixes together. If you're big drinkers, the the alcohol working its way out through your pores oh, just blends yeah. with it, and it's nauseating. And oh, yeah, we drink a lot. Then I hardly I I drink like I have a glass of wine now, like once every three months. <laughs> <laughs> I think I got it all out of my system. Uh huh. Just in time. Like, did you did you guys share the driving duties and everything, or did you have someone that pretty much drove all the time? Um. Nick, our drummer, drove almost all the time. He's so good at driving and parking a van and trailer because he used to work for a tow truck company. Uh-huh. So he was amazing. And the only other people who would drive really would be Carlo, the guitar player, and myself. I would drive when we had really long drives at night and there were no cars on the road. He didn't want me to drive during the day when it was busy. Mm-hmm. But if we were driving like a weird stretch of land in New Mexico at three in the morning, he would let me drive. <laughs> um, so I do that. But it's always hard when, you know, you're staying awake. And I always would sound like a diva, but it's hard because, you know, you're staying awake all night and then you have to wake up and everyone else can just kind of use their body physically. But I had to sing. Yeah. So I would always be so tired and that exhaustion would make its way to my vocal cords for sure. And I was just, oh, like some nights I was dying, but it was okay. What's well, that anxiety too, that, that as a singer, I mean, like you were saying, anyone can, you know, be hung over or sick and still play guitar or, you know, phone it in on the drums. But when you're, when it's your actual body that people are there to, you know, witness that anxiety, you got a scratchy throat or you're, you know, it's an anxiety that no one else has in the band, I guess is, is what I'm getting. Yeah. Oh, when I, when I get sick on tour, it's just, I feel so bad and it's just, it's a feeling of helplessness and, uh, it doesn't matter how big the show is. If it's like for five people or, you know, we're on, we're on tour opening for someone in an arena. It's just the same feeling of like, I'm not going to give my best. And, People don't, and I I hate to be like, oh, hey guys, I'm really sick right now, and then sing yeah. really bad because, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like when you're when you're racing a race with friends and you lose, and you're just like, oh yeah, I didn't really stretch. <laughs> My <laughs> so skateboard won't do anything bad. today, guys. <laughs> yeah, I just I always feel bad to be like I'm sick, so this is why you want your money back right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh man, I definitely, I definitely understand that. And the, the, the difference between, I mean, you've, you've been around long enough to go across the transition between everyone's watching, everyone's watching, say Megan Dia, everyone's watching, paying attention, having a good time. Now I'm sure when you go on, you see a million cell phones oh, where yeah. everyone is filming everything you do. So unless yeah. you preface every song with, Hey, I'm sick again. Sorry. You know, people are going to pull up, you know, Dia Frampton or whatever. I'm like, oh, wow, that sounds a little, little off or whatever. I mean, you, you just yeah. don't have to preface it with anything. It's just how it is. And it's yeah. just so strange. It's so true. Phones are so weird. I went to the LACMA yesterday, which is a really amazing museum in L.A. And there was mm-hmm. a Guillermo del Toro exhibit. Um, for those of you who don't know, he did Pan's Labyrinth and Hellboy. He's really popular for monsters. And I was just walking around looking at all these, you know, amazing props from movies and his sketches for monsters and mm-hmm. Edgar Allan Poe books um, that date way back. And I seriously saw some people, uh, many people, just kind of go up to one of the things and take a picture and leave. 
And I'm the type of person, like, I would go up and I would stare at it for a good one to five minutes, um, depending on how fascinated I was. But mm-hmm. I was just like, did you even see that? Are you are you going to go home and look at these pictures at home for five minutes? Or are you just going to post that you were here? Or, like, what are you doing? Exactly. It was so if they kind of stared at the thing and, and took it in and read the description and then took a picture, that's a totally different thing. But it was just like walk up, snap, mm-hmm. walk away. <laughs> yeah, they'll say, well, I was just going to go look at it at home. Well, you could just Google image search that thing, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was I was, I was, was with my boyfriend. I was like, did you just see that guy? Are, are you seeing this? And I don't know. It was just – it's the generation of today. <laughs> it is. And that's funny to say too. I mean talking back to that essay too, are you're talking about, you know, 30 years old in the music industry is old to where mm-hmm. in any other facet of life other than maybe professional sports, that's not the case at all. And it's just such a weird such a weird concept to think, especially uh I could I can only imagine being a female in the music industry where, you know, looks and age are probably looked at more than with a man. Uh, oh, for sure. Sadly but true. Um I mean, especially coming from a a more mainstream uh, approach, they're going to want someone that looks good and is young and they can mold into what they yeah. want. And, and uh, so I guess I, I want to talk about that essay. Uh, the title was I'd get to the top of the mountain if it would just stop fucking growing. And that <laughs> title was amazing. I looked at it and I was like, cause that's the first thing I'd seen in a long time. Like you were saying, it's been five years um, between albums and I immediately was drawn to that and I read the whole thing and then I read it again last night. And uh, can you talk a little bit about what brought on that writing that essay and, and kind of how you felt? It's kind of your Jerry Maguire moment. It was really cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I was just, well, you know, the, the album's coming out soon and I, I feel like I haven't really been out in the open for anybody in a really long time. I haven't been playing a lot of shows. I really haven't been, active with music on social media it's just been dumb photos of me with ice cream or puppies <laughs> so <laughs> I was like I should kind of reintroduce myself to the world because I'm not the same person I was when my last album came out and I feel like I've gone through a lot of things especially in my own head um so I kind of just felt like you know I'm gonna kind of say hi world this is me this is where I am and my album's coming out so you know like this is where it's kind of coming from. And and uh, I didn't expect that many people to react to it. I wasn't trying to be philosophical or anything. I was just I was just so fed up with trying to like cover things in the industry. Mm-hmm. And so many times people want you to cover things. And um, and you know, I've had people that I work with that are sometimes like because I, I had to work at the restaurant and um you know, I'd have to work my shift at five o'clock. So sometimes some people will be like, um, you know, when you when you tell the writers you have to leave the studio session, just tell them that you have another session at six. Like that, you know, they didn't want me to be like, oh, I'm going to I have to work at the restaurant. So because mm-hmm. then it kind of diminished me as a writer and they wouldn't want to write with me. And honestly, it, it's probably true. <laughs> so because, um, you know, you you have to kind of play a big game in L.A. and pretend like you're really cool to to get to work with amazing people and Mm -hmm. um get in a room per se and so 
you know, it, it was little things like that. I'm like, you know what? No, I work in a restaurant. It's really hard. I actually quit that job and I work at a health food store now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> just, just so the facts are straight. That's actually uh-huh. where I'm going right after this podcast. But, um, <laughs> so, so, you know, there's just a lot of that. It was so funny too. There was one instance when I was working at the restaurant and, um, there's this writer and producer that I love. His name's Dan Romer. And we wrote the single for bruises together. It's called dead man. And we wrote the song together and he's the nicest person. So I don't know why I reacted this way. Mm-hmm. It was kind of embarrassing, but I was working at the restaurant and he moved, um, from the Valley to, to a house, like right on the street where I work. So one time I saw him walking by when I was like going out to grab some ketchup bottles and some plates and I saw him like coming and I ran inside and ducked behind the counter (laughs) because I was just so embarrassed because I I knew he'd kind of come in and like he wouldn't say anything, but I know he would like have that look in his eye, you know, of like what's going on and uh and then I, I really want to work with him, so I want him to think that I'm cooler than I am. <laughs> <laughs> but again, like, Dan is the nicest person. I don't think he would ever be like, oh, I'm not going to work with you anymore because you have to support yourself by working at this job. Like, that that's not him. So I don't want to paint him as, like, this person that I have to run behind a counter for. It was just kind of like this weird instinct. Where I just <laughs> ran <laughs> with my rag and my plates. Um, <laughs> and I saw him walk by, and then I came out and was like, oh, I wonder when he's going to come back. Is he going for like an hour brunch? Or... <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, those are all my stupid moments. But, um, yes, going back to the blog, it's just about uh, kind of, yeah, what you said, being a 30-year-old woman in the music industry and kind of still trying to, quote, make it and find success and what that means for me now. And, um you know, I, and it, it doesn't help that lately I've been working with a lot of young artists. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I also write songs for other people and uh, for film and TV or commercials or whatever. And recently I've been working with a lot of girls that are 17, 18, 19, some 14. Wow. That, you know, they're amazing. They just signed to this new record label and they're so excited and they're so pretty and their skin looks so soft. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh, what am I doing here? And uh, it's a lot of those sentences in the past. Like, you used to do this. Or like, how was your tours? Or, you know, um, so it's it's hard. And uh, yeah, I I think that blog is so long. So I'm trying to think of what else I said in there. But well, even going to that, like working with these younger these younger girls, asking you how your tours were. I mean, if they're signed in the right spot they'll never know what tour is and that yeah i mean it's one of those things that's just going to go by the wayside you know for for these younger people that will never they'll never tour in a van i mean they're going to be on a bus for a year and then they're going to be forgotten and it's i mean yeah tours are my friend just went on a tour and he's so cute he was just like it's my first tour i'm so excited and he's going on a bus uh-huh. And it's his first tour ever. And um, I mean, he he's multi-talented and I'm not saying like he doesn't deserve that. He's one of the most amazing singer-songwriters ever seen. And if they can afford a bus for him, then hell yeah. But I was just like, man, my first tour, I mean, my first tour wasn't even, we didn't even upgrade to a van. It was in a car, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but I'm used to 
uh, we would always, it was so funny because I was doing a short film with a friend the other day because I, I love acting as well, but we were shooting in a hotel room and everybody was bringing camera equipment in. And I was like, you know, like we shouldn't all be bringing camera equipment into this one room. It's going to, we're going to look weird like when I was in my band we always used to sneak each other in through the back or like go in through the lobby like once every hour like check when the person's coming (laughs) and the guy was just like what are you talking about I'm like you know because you can't have eight people in one room he was like you guys slept eight people in one room I'm like yeah like three to a bed two on the floor (laughs) and I just said it like it was normal and he was like what are you talking about But then we did end up sneaking people in the back, and I was like, yeah, you're welcome. Oh, Jesus. It's totally normal. We did the same thing. Sneak in. My spot was underneath the sink. I don't know why. And to this day, if I could sleep something with something over my head, it's this feeling of comfort. Like it's we would we would pack in the room, and I was the biggest guy. I'm six five. So the biggest guy, so I'd usually sleep on the floor so more people could catch the bed. And I'd curl up underneath that. Uh, there's like a there's a, a sink with no cabinets underneath it usually in a hotel room uh-huh. and curl right up under there and it was kind of like this little womb that was just felt so nice and maybe you should have turned the sink on just a little so it's a trickle <laughs> so it kind of feels like you're in a Thai massage exactly yes that's something I, looking back I should have done just to, to make it that much sweeter I mean th- those are the little things that just people are gonna forget about that you know means something still to people that went through it and and uh are still going through it i mean it's just yeah. when you're talking about these artists where you go in and and i assume there's some some artists that are going to be bigger name artists or at least have big backing um to be bringing someone in with them in the studio that you know they're going to hop on that bus and be like oh i'm so tired today oh you were on your bus last night <laughs> i think i'll take a nap in my- yeah i'll take a nap in, in my bunk <laughs> yeah you have a bunk yeah, it's it's definitely a luxury. Yeah. Have you done much bus touring? Um, I did a little bit. We would do it a lot of the time when we just felt like it was absolutely necessary. We did it on Warp Tour uh-huh. because, well, yes, we did it all Warp Tours. I mean, <laughs> I remember the first Warp Tour, though, when we had the bus, we... um. We literally, it was like paying rent with pennies. I remember we would literally sell merch and just count down how much we had to pay the bus because we paid it weekly. Oh, God. And it was literally like, okay, we're $50 short or we're $200 short. And Meg and I would go out with a box of CDs and um, walk the line, which is mm-hmm. when, I know you know all this stuff, but just for just No, for this folks. is good. This is good. People need to know <laughs> but, this um, stuff. Yeah, it was called walking the line on Warp Tour when you would... Uh, you know, because doors would open at 9 or 10, so we'd wake up really early around uh, 7 or 8 and go walk the line, which meant we just went out with a Discman then, uh-huh. and uh, we'd play our CD for people, you know, just $5, buy a record, buy a record, we'll, we'll sign it for you, or we'll give you a discount, or, you know, come to our show here, and we just literally go down the line and, and play our songs for people and try it. It was seriously like selling candy bars uh, or, voice, <laughs> or Girl Scout cookies. It was just that kind of same thing, but... Um, being in a van on Warped Tour is really rough because it's a hundred something degrees outside. You mm. have nowhere to go. One person, um, it actually wasn't a, a band, but it was a vendor. I think he was a sunglass vendor. He passed away on that Warped Tour because he just 
he fell asleep at the wheel. Um, oh. Like, there's just no reason to push yourself like that. And we, like, when we heard it, it was just the, the saddest news ever because he's just waking up early every morning, setting up his tent, selling his sunglasses, closing down. And then he drives, you know, eight mm-hmm. hours sometimes, sometimes 10 to 11 hours yeah. to the next city on his own. And it was just him just selling these things and, and it gets dangerous. And then we would also use a bus, um, for really cold winter tours, especially in Canada Mm -hmm. when we just felt it was safer, but, um, buses are very expensive, but at the same time now, um, I don't know if I could go back to a van for a long period of time. I know I could do it because I've done it before a lot, Sure, but I was, 20s you know my 20s and and energetic (laughs) um and now i'm like could i be in a van for eight to nine months out of the year like i used to no could i do it for a couple yeah but it's Mm -hmm. it's a hard thing i mean i think we should just both be djs and just take our ipod and like fly (laughs) to these amazing places (laughs) and (laughs) get put up yeah let's play and then come home just do fly-ins only. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, that's and that's uh, yeah. Warp tour in a van. We we did it once in a van, and that was the tour. Everyone decided to call their brother and sister. And say, hey, you want to meet all your favorite bands? Come out with us on Warp tour. So we took the fifteen passenger with seven of us and put fifteen in it. Oh my god! And that was the worst experience of my touring life. Was the sleeping sitting up like a cattle car in this van trying to get space trying to i mean that's when you start befriending all these bigger bands as best as you can because they have a bus that you can hang out in during the day oh my gosh yes <laughs> like hey you're all right but uh yeah you want to be buddies <laughs> yeah can we um sleep on your sofa yeah. i mean sometimes that happened um we had a couple guys come into our bus sometimes and just take naps during the day on in the back lounge because they they were always like the designated driver for that night Mm -hmm. so you'd be like dude you just go in pass out we'll put a note on the door so nobody's (laughs) interrupting you just put the famous office sign on the door (laughs) yeah tour manager's office sign oh my gosh it's it's a warp tour something else it's a whole different animal yeah and then if you take part in the party every night, the barbecue and everything, I mean, you could, you could really do some damage to yourself. You really can. That's another <laughs> thing. Like, tour is really unhealthy. And that's another thing sometimes I think about because right now, you know, I go to yoga. I have a pretty strict diet that, of, like, foods that I've – I don't know. I've gotten – maybe it's me working at the health food store that hasn't mm-hmm. helped. <laughs> but I've gotten pretty healthy. <laughs> and – um you know, just exercise and walking around and sleeping for eight hours a day. And to disrupt that, I mean, a lot of the times it's just eating Nutter Butters at a gas station because you have to rush to the next show. And yeah. Chipotle's were like a amazing thing to us because it wasn't fast food necessarily. Mm-hmm. It yeah. felt a little more healthy. So we would always try to go there instead of, you know, McDonald's or something <laughs> that made you feel like you're going to die after. And um, yeah. <laughs> that was kind of tour, I guess. Yeah. So you said you you changed your diet up a bit. Are you are you a vegetarian? Um, I'm not, but I don't eat a lot of meat. Okay. Like I'll eat meat once for like one meal every two days. I don't know why. 
it just makes you feel better though. You feel better that, I mean, you found what works for you, obviously. Um, yeah, I don't know if it's, it, like I used to eat a lot more meat when other people would cook it for me, but when I started cooking a lot for myself and mm-hmm. I just come home and like pull out the big slab of meat, it was just, it's weird <laughs> for me to like cut up meat. I don't know. It makes me feel funny. So a lot of the times I would prepare it and like cut it up and wash it and season it. And then I'd cook it and I was like, Ugh, I don't know if I can eat this. It's weird. Cause you know where it came from or, you know, you, yeah. you've, you've handled it already. And yeah, I don't, it was just a, it's a weird thing. And it, it doesn't have anything to do with, um, not animal rights, but I, I mean, I, I'm not against me. I think if people eat meat, that's awesome. And if they don't, that's awesome. No ethical um, concerns there. Yeah. No ethical concern. Um, you know, I, I don't know what we were meant to do. Some people say we were meant to be carnivores. Some people say, say differently. Mm-hmm. I'm actually, I just bought a book called, um, I think it's food for freedom or oh, no, it starts with food that is supposed to kind of talk about why we should eat meat scientifically. And I'm kind of interested in that. Okay. conversation. So I'm kind of still figuring out, but my little sister is full on vegetarian, like animal rights activist. And, yeah. um, she just loves animals. And even this Thanksgiving, we're like, Oh, we're all going to go to salt Lake. And Nikki was like, Oh no. Like I volunteered to watch all the neighbor's dogs while they're gone. <laughs> That's my sister. <laughs> so she's just the sweetest, um, heart as big as the world. Yeah, exactly. And she's just so sweet. And she always volunteers the dog shelters and yeah. um, does all that stuff. So she's great. And yeah. Well, speaking of speaking of food and your interest in uh, in food, have you heard of Michael Pollan? No. He is. He's wrote. He wrote the Food Rules. He wrote um, Omnivore's Dilemma. He's a professor at a college and does a lot of speaking dates. But he wrote a book called Cooked. And there's a Netflix series he put out on it, and it, it kind of breaks down the book, and it talks about how it, it, evolutionary or evolutionary thinking, um, when we figured out we could cook food, mm-hmm. uh, meats, everything, and absorb more of the the nutrients from it because it was cooked. There's a theory that that's why our brains grew so large and so fast, and it's kind of a cool series to check out. Um, but if you if you like that kind of stuff, I definitely recommend that to you. Oh, that um, sounds awesome! Yeah, I I love Pollan, that kind P-O-L-L-A-N. of stuff. P O L L A N. He's a fascinating, fascinating guy. Um, okay, I watch Cooked. Yeah, it's on Netflix. It's a it's a good one. Um, I wanted to talk about uh, the voice a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. That's the, <laughs> ironically it, every time I've seen you and doing what you're doing has been like a random walk around the corner like oh wait they're on mtv same thing my stepdaughter was watching the voice and i came around the corner i was like wait a minute and then the name came up and i was like what (laughs) (laughs) and i was like i I, she's she works with mike kaminsky and and uh my daughter's like who and i was like oh i went into the whole story but um (laughs) i wanted to know kind of and i i read a little bit about how it came about but for people listening how you got on the voice for one, and it was the inaugural season, right? It was the first season. Yeah. So yeah. you had nothing to base it on. It's no go be on this show. So I wanted to know kind of how you got on the voice and then kind of what the day to day was like on a show like that with such huge stars. And, you know, because we all see the American Idol, the voice and see what we are shown, but we don't usually see the back end. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, it was first season. And the reason I auditioned was honestly my manager again, Mike mm-hmm. Kaminsky. He, um, I was living in New York at the time working at Crumb's Bake Shop. And uh, he just called me and was like, hey, there's this contest. They're looking for singers. You should come out. And I, I kind of was in a position where I was like, what have I got to lose? Like, what am I doing with my life? <laughs> um, but I really, I had, if he would have been like, it's just like American Idol, but it's this and this and this, I would have been like, okay, bye. Yeah. Cause I really don't like reality TV vo- vocal shows, but it, I really, really didn't know anything about it. And in hindsight, I could have probably looked up some information because I think they had a, a, um, version in another small country in Holland or something. I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. But, um, I really just kind of went and did this audition. And I remember when I got there, there were people like lined up around this building and that's when I kind of turned to Mike and I was like, what is this contest? Why are there like hundreds of people here? (laughs) Um, and he said, Oh, you know, it's fine. They're going to pick some coaches and, but it's not, it's not judging. It's not negative. It's, it's not judges, it's coaches who are like going to help you learn stuff. So I was like, oh, okay. So I just went in for my audition, really didn't think twice about it. Um, and then I got called back and I got called back for another thing with uh, producers. And uh, I think I got called back four times before the actual, we actually went to a hotel and they were kind of going through everything uh-huh. and and they go through a lot before you actually hit the stage for blind auditions. Like I took, uh, they, I had a background check. Um, I also took a kind of, uh, I saw every, everybody saw a therapist and kind of got checked out by him. Uh-huh. Um, I remember I had to fill out this kind of scantron form and I remember some of the, some of the questions were like, do you see animals that nobody else can see? Do you hear voices? Um, how do you, like, would you write your relationship with your family? Like it, it was just a lot of stuff like that. Um, which was really interesting, but honestly, I can see why they would do that because mm-hmm. you want to make sure you get somebody that can handle a lot of pressure or, you know, just be, <laughs> yeah, just be in a lot of pressure, I guess. But yeah. then they slimmed it down. I think there were like 90 of us at the hotel and I think they slimmed it down to around 70 or something. And then those 70 went on to be the blind auditions. And then I think they picked 48 or something like that or uh-huh. 32. It might've changed. Um, so then from a day-to-day basis from that, I mean, the day-to-day basis for me was like, what the fuck is happening? Yeah. <laughs> and I just kind of go about my day. Um, uh, I would, I read the fountainhead on that again, cause I was getting really stressed out. So I was like, what makes me feel, uh, supported and empowered. And so I read the fountainhead by Ayn Rand and then I would wake up every day, go to the gym. I'd hear people, um, the hotel next to me performing and, um, would really get inside my head. And then a lot of it was, it was actually, the voice is actually super well organized and takes really good care of everybody. Uh-huh. Um, you know, they'll let you know, hey, you have a vocal lesson at 3.30 today if you want it. Or, hey, we're doing rehearsals from 6 to 8. And they're really good about bringing you there mm-hmm. and taking you back and letting you sleep and rest. They don't bring you there and hold you and are all over the place and, you know, you're back by midnight. They were mm-hmm. always so organized with everything. You know, you're in hair and makeup at this time and then you're back. And uh, they flew your family out to watch you. 
they actually really treated everyone really well. And the coaches, I don't know anything about anyone else necessarily, but Blake, I was on Blake's team and he is the nicest person ever. Really? He's so nice. Um, I'll tell you one story, which kind of tells you something, but, uh, the dress that I wore when I was singing the duet with Miranda Lambert, a house that built me, Uh um, was this beautiful, beautiful dress. And there's this huge, like we're, we're in a hotel and they'll take a, you know, big room and it's just full of clothes. It's the wardrobe for the voice and it's full of all kinds of different clothes. Uh And I went down there and I went a little bit early and Aaron, the wardrobe stylist, was like, oh, D.O.D., I'll be with you in a second to find your outfit for um, the Miranda duet. And I was like, mm-hmm. okay, I'll just chill. So I was just walking around, and I saw this dress, and I was like, ooh, this is really pretty. So I tried it on. I really shouldn't have, uh-huh. but I tried it on. I was just kind of like moseying around in it like princess for a day. And then Aaron comes over, and she's like, oh, honey, that dress is like way over budget. It's like $1,700. You can't. Like, Jesus. I don't even know why they sent it to us. Like, I'm sorry, but you, you should get out of it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, will you just take a picture of me in any way just so I can have it? Because they take pictures and send it to producers and, you know. Uh-huh. Uh, so she took a picture of me. And then I tried on like seven other dresses that were all really fun and whatever. And then I get to the show day and I go to wardrobe to pick up my dress, get in hair, makeup, and let's go perform. And I go to wardrobe and that dress is there. And I was thinking, um, why is this dress here? Where's the red one that I think they picked? And uh-huh. uh, and Aaron was like, oh, Blake bought it for you. Like, we told him that you really liked that one, and he just said to get it for you. Are you serious? That's awesome. Yeah, it's still in my closet. And I was, you know, I just told you I was doing that. I'm doing that uh, online fundraiser store on Hello Merch. Uh-huh. And um, I, I sold a lot of my clothes that I wore on The Voice in that dress. I'm like, I'm never selling this dress ever. <laughs> so, That's awesome. Um, it's still in my closet. And it, it's just like little things like that. Um, I mean, that's not a little thing, actually. But, you know, um, he's just the nicest person. My family came into town a day early to watch. And he he texted me and was like, um, bring them all to the hotel buffet. Like, let's all go to dinner. Like, let's all go out. And so he took my family out to eat. He's just really, really nice. Just a good person. That's that's awesome. I mean, he puts yeah. out that vibe, and you never know, you oh, know, from sure. just seeing on on TV and and on the radio. But but that's fantastic to know that that that's how he is. Because I mean, that's a, that's a big deal, especially when you're a, a coach. You know, even on a show like that. I mean, taking care of your your team, it's huge. Yeah, and I've seen instances when the camera turns off and the person just turns into, like, Godzilla. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, what happened to you? Are you okay? <laughs> the chair flips around a third time and <laughs> this demon. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. So do you have, I mean, do you have some advice for, for people that may be listening to this episode that are going to maybe go try out for The Voice or try out for American Idol or or try to get into music in general um, Hmm. that you've learned, like something that you would pass on that way? I think whenever anyone has asked me for advice about The Voice, because there's been a few young artists that have been like, oh, how can I get on there? Or even, um, you know, can you send my tape into casting? And for me, the look in their eyes and the way that they say it kind of suggests that they think this is like their big shot and it's Mm -hmm. like their end all be all. And I mean, if you look at a lot of the people on The Voice, 
lots of people did really well and it didn't necessarily make a career for them Mm -hmm. like it did for Kelly Clarkson in that way. But for me, it's to not put so much pressure on the voice or on any one thing to kind of make it for yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, My best advice to anybody, and I've done this with acting as well, is just even if you have management, if you have a label, if you have an agent, whatever, always work for yourself like you don't have them. Um, Because I think people always try to get to that tier where things are going to be easy Mm -hmm. and it's not. And even if you do, you should still be always trying to further ways to better yourself or to do something. Um, So that's my advice is to always work. If you do have somebody, if you do have people on your team, if you do have something good going for yourself, still work like you don't have it, like you're hungry and you need things. Cause I feel like people can get comfortable, but, um, on a different level, I think just do as many things for yourself as you can. You don't have to wait for record label to find people to perform with. And now you can record a lot of things on your computer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you do find people that way. I mean, I went to a little showcase um, at a college of music here in L.A. I was just filling in for my friend and I saw a bunch of performers and there was this guy and I thought he was so great. And I ended up calling him the next day and was like, hey, do you want to come to the studio? And like, let's just write and record some music together for fun. Like no strings attached. Mm-hmm. It's not for any project. It's not for any commercial. Like, let's just record some music. I really like your stuff. So there's some really great ways to network if you just put yourself out there. And I have a friend who is an amazing musician, but he doesn't care about anything else besides the music, uh-huh. which is amazing and rare. But at the same time, if you do want to get out there, you have to put yourself in places where you'll meet people, go to conferences. Um, there's a really cool Empower conference in LA next week that I'm doing a panel at with just musicians who are trying to make it. And I think a lot of cities do offer those things where you can go in for mentor mentorship and, uh, see how other people have done things. And, um, YouTube's one way to start, but it's not the end all be all. I think sometimes people rely on that too much. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, but kind of like my little sister she's 17 but right now she's she plays on the street every day on because friday there's like a farmer's market mm-hmm. and she takes her ukulele out and just plays on the street and i think that's actually a really great way to just um practice being in front of people and i think that's one thing that youtube doesn't have is you can't get in front of your computer and practice performing because you're really not <laughs> yeah yeah exactly um Yeah. So really just play wherever you can. That's a big piece of advice I have. I used to play at at lunchtime for at nursing homes. I used to play at the arts festival, um, Mm -hmm. at this Christmas tree lighting in in St. George, Utah. (laughs) There's so many weird places you can play. They're just, you know, you wouldn't think have performers, but they do. And just, just perform everywhere in your city. And, and you can really just meet people through doing that, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's some solid advice. I mean, I, I really like that ad, that advice because it's, I mean, if you work hard for yourself, everyone around you is going to be stronger and able to do their job better. Yeah. I mean, and I also, oh, sorry. Oh, go ahead. I, I also went to venues in my city and I would say, you know, if anybody ever cancels, if an opening act is late um, or if you need an opening act, my sister and I will always be the opener for any band. And that's actually how we eventually met Mike. Kaminsky because 
we ended up opening up for Limbeck mm-hmm. and we met their tour manager and he introduced us to Mike, our manager, I mean, still to this day. So go to your local venue and just let them know that and, and be active with them. Yeah. Just, I mean, put yourself out there. And and, and the the other cool thing now I, I wanted to ask about with, with how you're, you're working a day job, uh, you got this record that's ready to come out next year. Has your has your uh, your motives changed a little bit to where hey if this works it works it's not the only thing I have uh, has it changed kind of to more so your focus has shifted where I either I have to do this or I'm never going to make it or I'm going to put this out there and see what happens. My focus has kind of shifted to how can I make this really great. And I, I haven't really thought much about the outcome, which I think has made me a lot more happy as a person. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what I think it was Steve Martin who told a young actor that uh, maybe it was Tom Hanks. I can't remember. But um, they were just asking, you know, how can we get into being an actor on film and da, da, da. And he's like, so many people worry about all these different things. What if you just worried about being the best you can possibly be? Mm-hmm. And that really resonated with me. And so, you know, it's it's kind of little steps like, okay, if I want to fund a music video for this song, how can I make it the most special, most powerful music video that will resonate with people, um, you know, instead of just pooping out a music video <laughs> yeah. to poop one out. I'm like, how can I make this great? I, I just want to do great work now. And, you know, if I don't have the money or the funds to get it to there, I just won't make it until I get there instead of just pushing out something to have it and you know how can I make the live show the best it can be Mm -hmm. how can I make you know just every how can I make the artwork perfect for the record and it's just about really paying attention to details and so if it doesn't do do well then I'll still be really happy with the work that I've done and I think that's the most important thing to me and I've also you know music isn't the end of the world (laughs) Mm mm-hmm I think sometimes people have a hard time with that because it's it's so special and it's so amazing, but it's not my life. Yeah, um, it, it's a huge part of my life, but it's not it's not who I am. It's it's what I love to do. So it's uh you know to kind of separate that from myself and just enjoy it. And honestly, the other day this sounds so cheesy, but I was singing. I still believe. Um, from the musical Miss Saigon mm-hmm. in my house. And I started crying because I was having so much fun. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, have you ever, you know, gotten back to guitar and like for a second you're practicing your scales and then you have to play the song because you're playing at someone's show, but then you start rocking out to a song that you really love and you're like, oh my gosh, this is so fun. I love this so much. And, and it's not because people are watching you and, and you're getting validation. It's just because... You love it. Like, I was just in my room, like, I still. Crying at the same time. Just like, oh my gosh, this is so fun. Like, I started jumping up and down, and just, um, it's that joy and just practicing singing on my own in my house again that I haven't really done in a long time. And, yeah. you know, finding the joy in those moments. And, well, and you were in your house. No one was paying you, no one was <laughs> nope. watching you. And when's the last time you felt that genuine and and pure in front of an audience? You know what I mean? Like that's a, yeah, that was priceless right there. And now we're talking yeah. about it on a podcast. You know, because sometimes in front of an audience, it's like, oh, are they enjoying themselves? Oh, why did that person pull out their phone? Are they bored? <laughs> yeah. Are you on ears live when you when you play now? 
Yeah. So do you have it? So you do they have a microphone up so you can hear the crowd, or do you have just your mix? It's just my mix. Okay. Because I know sometimes they throw a microphone up there, and I'd never seen that before because I in my time we were never really on ears and. And I was like, what is that microphone up there for? Well, if we want to hear the crowd, they just turn it up into our mix. I was like, what? Are you serious? Yeah. And yeah. I was like, you're completely isolated up there? I'm like, yeah. All I hear is us. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> Great. <laughs> that is a good thing. I mean, it's I, – I actually I, – I can let people get in my head really easily. And I'm not the type of person who can read something and just forget about it. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, it kind of sucks because that's a big reason why I stopped reading, you know, Facebook messages people would send or Instagram messages because for all the really sweet messages, I'll get a message that's like, I want to put a paper bag over your head and drag you into an alley and kill you. Oh my <laughs> so God. For those, like those really affect me. I bet. <laughs> so. They affect everyone. I don't know. How yeah. And it's can so crazy because it's that graphic and, and I've had a lot worse. So it's not just like your voice kind of sucks. It's like, I want you dead or I want to like, like rape you behind a back alley and like pull your voice out or something. It's just, Oh, you gotta be fucking kidding me. That's terrible. Insane. Yeah. Trolls are really, really mean. And, um, and that's why, you know, a lot of the times I'll put a YouTube video up or something and I will never check the comments because I'm like, I don't need that bringing down my Sunday afternoon. But at the same time, I really do love um, speaking with fans and, and talking mm-hmm. to people who, who love music or have their stories to share. So it, it kind of sucks that I feel like I can't do that as much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and, uh, I don't know. Have you seen South Park recently? There's, the, there's some really ridiculous episodes on internet trolls. I haven't. I, I probably should. <laughs> Oh, South Park is ridiculous now. It's just uh, there's internet trolls in the election. So, of course, they're just like hammering in on it. It's Oh, perfect. Oh, it's rough. Have they brought back the turd sandwich and the giant douche? Yep. It's oh. it, it's it's fiery it's, enough it's... right now. <laughs> I'm going to have to check that out. You're going to be watching Cooked. I'm going to be watching South Park. That's going to be yep. hilarious. Yeah. Well, Dia, I really appreciate you spending your morning with me and, and uh, before work. I know there's many other things you could be doing, but I – appreciate it a lot and i've had a lot of fun chatting with oh, you me and, too. and uh, yeah thanks for having me yeah and I, i'm looking forward to the record and and uh um you know everything to come in 2017 and and uh you said the single's gonna be out on the 18th of november i believe so yeah okay perfect and uh so yeah thank you so much for being on i really appreciate it yeah thanks have a good day all right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to my interview with Dia Frampton today. I had a great time chatting with Dia, and she is a fantastic, talented musician. And I hope you guys think so as well. I'm sure a lot of you that listened uh, are already fans of Dia's. But if you're not and you're a subscriber to the show, I hope you found something new that you like. So once again, thank you to Dia. Thank you to Mike uh, at K Management for hooking us up and Amanda Yim for scheduling everything out. We had to juggle things around a couple times, but we made it work and had a great time. I hope you did as well. So we are on Instagram at Peer Pleasure Pod. We are on Twitter at Pod Peer Pleasure. Our website is www.peerpleasurepodcast.com. And we're also available on jabberjawmedia.com with some other great podcasts as well. We're part of that family now, just to remind you guys. So once again, thank you for listening to everything. Check out the Amazon affiliate link at www.peerpleasurepodcast.com. Click shop at Amazon. And once again, 
we get four to six percent at the show here of everything you buy it doesn't cost you anything extra set up that link bookmark it every time you go to amazon to purchase something it would really help us out and keep the show free and help us keep going so once again thank you for listening guys and we'll see you next week Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Hey, this is Doc Coyle, host of the X-Man Podcast and part of the Jabberjaw Media Podcast Network. The X-Man Podcast is where I talk to professionals in the music world and other creative industries about the challenges and transitions of leading monumental ventures. This podcast is for those passionate and driven 20 to 30-somethings at a crossroad trying to figure out what's next. Listen and subscribe at jabberjawmedia.com.